Yes. Okay, so welcome to another Bible study. Explore Bible study. Ready to explore the word together? Yes, of course. Um, we're just going to start with a word of prayer. Father, I just want to say thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you, Lord, once again for this opportunity to be together tonight, Lord, to have the freedom to be able to study your word, Lord, with no hindrances, Father. We just want to say thank you for that. Lord, right now we're aware that there are peace talks that are apparently going on. Lord, over Ukraine, we just uh, we just commit them to you, Lord. Lord, we do we want to see peace established. But Lord, that it's under the right terms. Father, we just leave that all to you. Just, uh, Lord, that you would have your way in that situation, we pray. Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Okay. Let me see what we are here. Okay. Alright, so we're going to proceed with our, uh, our look at the Apostles' Creed. Sadly, I haven't brought the print text that you usually have. Almighty. 
I believe in God, the Father Almighty, and then we're going to look at Creator of heaven and earth. So let's start with a couple of foundational, foundational um, verses. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 to 8 says this, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That's awesome, isn't it? So we've been adopted into God's family as sons and daughters of the living God. That is how we are to relate to him. As Abba Father, and I'm sure you've heard this many times before, that Aramaic word Abba speaks of intimacy. Right? So you're relating to God. And I want you to notice this, that God reveals himself as a personal being all right, that we can have relationship with. That's so important because some people treat him as impersonal. Some people relate to him as just like a force. You can't really relate to a force at all, can you? No, but we relate to a personal being. And he has revealed himself as such. And that's so important. We're going to talk about God as creator shortly. And when we think about him as creator, we need to remember that as our Father, He created us. As our Heavenly Father, He created all things. So first and foremost, we're, we're just establishing that He is our Heavenly Father. You are a son and a daughter of the living God. Isn't that wonderful? You're a son and a daughter of the living God. 1 John Chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. What manner of love? And again, that's just a very, very important principle there. What manner of love, love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. Of God. And that tells me that the relationship has to be a loving relationship. Okay? Praise God. Now I love the next part here. Anybody notice or can anyone tell me what that story? The prodigal son. Just open your Bibles very quickly to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. So we know the story about the prodigal son, that he's not happy and he wants to off and live his life. And so he, he preempts his uh, inheritance, he wants to receive his inheritance before the time. In other words, he's basically saying, look father, I, really, I wish you were dead. Yeah. You know, so I could have my, yeah, I could have my inheritance and go off and do my own thing. Can you imagine? You know? And, uh, and off he goes and starts doing his own, own thing, he squanders all that wealth. On, on immoral living and a lifestyle, but suddenly he comes to his senses and he says here, let me just find it here, verse 17, Luke 15, verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Okay, so just pay attention now. Look, look at this. These are the words of Jesus. 
Alright? He's wanting to teach you something about the Father. So what does he take? But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Amen. Pray. Praise God. Jesus teaching this about the Father, what he's like. How does he respond to the repentant sinner that comes to him broken? After all the mess, all the sin, all the rebellion. You know, how does he respond? He says he came back broken, didn't he? He didn't feel he was worthy to be even called to as a son or to relate to the father as a father, but just as a son, as a hired servant, you know. And look at the response of the father. And we said this before, but can you imagine, I can imagine the father, you know, his heart was broken, he was completely dishonored by the rebellious behavior of his son. And it broke his heart. But I can imagine the father day after day looking out into the distance to see if he could see his son returning. Amen. You know, these are Jesus' words. I've said it three times now, but I want you to see and, and, and understand Jesus is revealing the heart of the father. Jesus is revealing the character of the father. Yeah, don't worry, don't worry, don't panic. I'll look over that one. Um, we're going to resolve this soon, I believe. <laughs> Alright, so just of course we see this concept of God being Father all over the scriptures. Just to remind you of another scripture here, Jesus, after his resurrection, appears to Mary Magdalene and, and in the, the, the Garden of, of Gethsemane, now Gethsemane, now in the tomb, the Garden of Tomb. And he says, he said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father. I'm ascending to my father and your father. And to my God and your God. Notice he addresses him as my father and your father. Before he says, and to my God and your God. Relationship, guys. Isn't it? relationship. Praise God. And so, God reveals himself as the Father. And some people have got an issue with that today because they say, well, you know, the feminist movement and so on. Well, why should we have to address him as Father? Why, why can he not be mother as well? The truth of the matter is that God is not male or female. Alright? God is not male or female. God is spirit. I was clear about that. However, as he reveals himself in scriptures, it relates to us as a male, shall we say. Alright, that doesn't mean to say it is. He relates us to us as a male. Okay, so we've got to go over what the scriptures teach, haven't we? That's it, end of the day. Praise the Lord. Okay, so let's have a look at some Old Testament references. 
Because it's not just a New Testament concept. We see that, number one, God is the Father of Israel. Maybe we could open, open our Bibles and some of these references. Um, over, over here, Deb, would you open in Exodus 4, 22? Mom, would you in Deuteronomy 32, 6? Don't. Would you open it in Psalm 68, verse 5? That Isaiah 30, verse 9. Malachi 1, verse 6. John. Hebrews 12, verse 6. Rach. Isaiah 63, verse 16. Fred. And Isaiah 64, verse 8. Come on. You lot have got, got away with it back then. For now. Alright, so let's have a look what the Old Testament speaks about the fatherhood of God. So we've got the first one, Exodus 4, verse 22. Then said to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. That's alright. Is that, is that the verse? Is it one? That's it. Yeah, that's right. That's it. Israel is my firstborn son. What? Do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? Praise God. So the first thing that we see is that God is father of Israel. He describes Israel as his firstborn son. He has, a, he has a love and compassion for the people of Israel. Therefore, while they were in, in slavery, crying out to him, he remembered his covenant with them, he remembered his love for them to redeem them from it. Okay? Praise God. Number two, he is a father to the father. Psalm 68, verse 5. The father of the father, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. Wow. A father of the father, fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. Yeah, that wonderful. A father to the fatherless. Mm. Some of you know what that feels like. Yeah, you lost your fathers earlier on, or you maybe maybe never knew your fathers very well. He's a father to the fatherless. Okay. Ooh, next one. Isaiah thirty verse nine. These are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. Oh wow. And obviously he's speaking about his rebellious children. Rebellious Israel, okay? Who are committing all kinds of, of, of abominations against him. Malachi 1 verse 6. The Lord Almighty says to the priests, a son honours his father, and a servant respects his master. I am your father and master, but where are the honours and respect I deserve? You have despised my name. But you ask, how have we ever despised your name? Mm, I mean, so completely despised, dishonoured the name of the Father, and again he's saying, look, I'm your Father and your Master, and therefore you honour me, you, you need to honour me, you need to revere me for who I am, and you have not done that. <coughs> Okay, Hebrews 12, verse 6, just, I'm flicking out to the New Testament to show you that this doesn't change, this, this, this principle doesn't change. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes those he accepts as his children. Ooh. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
New Testament, post cross and resurrection. Alright? What does he do? Get read it again, please, right? For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes those he accepts as his children. The Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes those he accepts as his children. <laughs> wow. We don't hear much about that today, do we? I'm going to tell you about my books. Yeah, but there you go. But of course, whenever you discipline, or whenever the Lord disciplines, the whole point of being disciplined is for correction, instruction. The idea is to bring about restoration. Okay? The best thing we can do is not put ourselves into a position where the Lord has to discipline us because we become stubborn, hard-hearted, hard of hearing, and so on. So it shows you, yeah. So it's also saying Hebrews that he chastises us because he loves us. Chastises those who he loves. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all part of you know, you are you who are parents, the times that you had to to chastise, you had to correct. Not me, of course. But as I was a saint as I was running. Anyway, Isaiah 63, 16, it was in Fredlock. Surely you are still our father, even if Abraham and Jacob would disown us. Lord, you would still be our father. You are our redeemer from age past. Amen. That's, that's really interesting because, you know, he's, he, he, he's, um, he's, what's the word I'm trying to call on? He's, he's calling upon the fact that God is father, to remember his faithfulness as father, that they would have, he would have mercy and compassion upon them. Praise God, that's good stuff. Um, and then Isaiah 64, verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you our potter. Wow. And so we are, and all we are the work of your hand. Amen. So he shapes his children like a potter shapes clay. Like a, a potter works with clay. Isn't that wonderful? So we see that that is in the Old Testament. That's in the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? We've seen, we've touched on it a little bit. Okay, so let's look at some New Testament references. So, starting at the table at the back. Julia, John 1, 18. Arjuna, Luke 22:42. G, Matthew 6, 6-8. And then maybe Luke 15, 11-32. We don't need to, because we've just looked at it. So, just you three guys, and three, three verses at the back there. Luke, sorry, John 1, 18, Luke 22, 42, Matthew 6, 6 to 8. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is in the sight of God is near to the Father's home. He has revealed God to us. Wow, what did he say? He's near to the Father's heart? He's near to the Father's heart. But the unique one who is in the of God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Wow, what, what version is that? Okay, and yeah, interesting, I've not heard that one before. Yeah, that's interesting. Near to the Father's heart, he has revealed the Father, absolutely. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Amen. So we can see, guys, I mean, really, this is ABC stuff, isn't it? But Jesus was son of the Father, okay? Jesus prayed to the Father, addressed him as Father, and he was completely submitted to the will of the Father. All of this, Jesus is leaving us an example as well. Okay? 
Jesus is leaving us as an example. Um, Matthew 6, 6 to 8. Do you understand that, Clarence? Yeah. 
That doesn't that mean if there's something outside of God that obligates him to do something, then that is sovereign and not God. Do you understand? That's very important for us to understand. So I do not swallow this idea that there is a law of faith that we have to, you know, if you can just activate that law of faith that, that governs the universe, that, that God has to respond in the way that you want, you know, because you've pressed the right button of faith that makes him respond. That's a skewed idea of God completely. Because what happens then is it puts man in the place of God, doesn't it? We determine the way our life is to work out because we operate in the, in the, in the law of faith. And that's just, that's blasphemy in my, my understanding. Anyway. So, we relate to him as Father. We trust him as Father. We trust him as Sovereign Lord and God. And, you know, we thank him. When he blesses us with the things we ask for, praise God. When he chooses not to, you know, because it's in accordance with his will, ultimately. When he chooses not to, we praise him anyway because he's still not. Good. Alright. So, moving on to the word Almighty. Almighty. We've already talked about this, so we're not going to dwell on this. But, basically, one of the attributes that makes God who, who he is, is that he is omnipotent. Omnipotent, all right? He has infinite power and ability to achieve his purposes. Nothing can frustrate his purposes. You know, when we start to think about who God is, and it's important to study these attributes, because the way that some of us relate to God and telling him what he's got to do, you know, and the way we want, we want things to work out and so on, you would think that we're the omnipotent ones, we're the, we're the omniscient ones, we're, you know what I'm saying? But actually we need to remember that He is God Almighty, that He has all power. He is all powerful. Nothing can frustrate His purposes. Yes, there might be twists and turns along the way, but ultimately, as He's spoken about your life, He says, all things work together for the good. But who determines what the good is? He does, surely. You might not think, oh, I like this. This is a bit rough. This, I'm not enjoying this. I wouldn't describe this as good. But he says, all things work together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen. He is only limited by his own character and being. So when we say God is omnipotent, is almighty, all-powerful, is there something that he can't do? Well, if there is something he can't do, it's only because he's limited by his own character, God can't lie. You understand that? He can't lie. There are things as well that, 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 that some people say, for example, can you make a triangle a square? Well, no, because it wouldn't be a triangle, would it? <laughs> so intrinsically it would be impossible. You understand what I'm saying? So we don't have to get silly about that. Right? Some people get silly about this, this whole thing about his omnipotence. We understand that he is absolutely all-powerful. He only limits himself through his own character and his own being. The Apostle John described both the Father and Son as Pantocrator, the Almighty. 
That's interesting. If, let's just have a look at the first one. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. It's at the end of the Bible. Revelation chapter 1. Verse 8. So, so this, is, this is Jesus speaking, yes? He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The Almighty. Yes? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's just keep reading. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, but on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God, and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see right in the book and send to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that I spoke, that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about his chest with a golden band. His head and hair was white, were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine grass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he, said, he laid his right hand on me and said to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. Wow. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of death, of Hades and of death. He's speaking about Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. He refers to himself as the Alpha and the Omega. The one who was, and is, and is to come, the Almighty. Amen. That's really powerful. It's, it's, it's a verse that can be used to uphold the doctrine of the, the deity of Christ. Okay? Explaining that Christ is Almighty. He, he has, has the same attributes as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And there are a number of other references there. Just to give you some more examples throughout the scriptures about God's omnipotence, he says, we just read it, I am the Alpha and the Almighty, says the Lord God who is, and what who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Jeremiah 32, verse 17, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing, nothing is too hard for you. We're going we're gonna to watch something shortly, hopefully, if it works. We're going to watch it. I'll just give you a little bit of an idea of the immensity of God. Alright. The awesomeness of God. Just one more count. Um, and of course, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, which we're going to start to look at now. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God created the heaven and the earth. So... Let's focus on that now. So we've seen that God is Father and that God is all 
his omnipotence. Let's have a look at just a, just a glimpse of, of his omnipotence and what he's capable of. So when you start, just pause it a minute, Cam. I just want to speak very quickly. Um, so, yeah, maybe you've seen this, maybe not. It's called, if Earth was a golf ball. If Earth was a golf ball. We're not going to have time to watch it all. We're going to watch maybe about six minutes later. Well, basically, he's going, to, he's going to give you an idea of, of, of the size of Earth in comparison with the Sun, and the size of the Sun in comparison with another star, and maybe we'll get to the third one, just to give you an idea of how big the universe is. Try to get to Cage's Majoris. All right, so, so there's a long way to go on that. That's the big one. Go for it, Cam. If the Earth were the size of a golf ball, okay, the Sun would be 15 feet in diameter. Okay, that didn't seem to move anybody either, so let me try it a different way. Let me just try it just a different way. I thought I might need this, so I brought a golf ball, okay? So all through the evening, this is going to represent Earth, all right? So this is where we are. I need everybody in the building to look as closely as you can and find yourself, okay? And when you've found yourself, I want you to nod your head so that I know you've located you on the Earth, okay? You're nodding your head? Okay, you found yourself. If the Earth were a golf ball, the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. That's not 15 feet in diameter. Can we blow that up just a hair and maybe give them 15 feet in diameter? So here's a little perspective for you, okay? Is this working for anybody? Here we are on the Earth, and that's the sun. It's so big. It's so big, you could put 960,000 Earths inside the sun. So if the Earth were a golf ball and the, and the sun were 15 feet in diameter, you could put 960,000 golf balls inside that 15-foot diameter sun. That's enough golf balls, by the way, because I know that seems like a big number, to fill a school bus with golf balls could fit inside the 15-foot diameter sun. It's a massive star, and it's one of hundreds of billions of stars in the Milky Way galaxy, our cul-de-sac in the neighborhood called the cosmos that God has made. It's huge, and we're worshiping a star-breathing God tonight. But I want to tell you about the second star, okay? Because the second star absolutely wrecked my life. I heard about it when I was a high school student here in Atlanta. One of our youth leaders did a talk, and he mentioned this star. I didn't know how to talk to God for about two months after I heard about this star. It's called Betelgeuse or Betelgeuse. You can pick your pronunciation. I'm obviously going with Betelgeuse, and Betelgeuse is incredible. Here it is in the night sky. I know it doesn't look incredibly ferocious but it's 427 light years away. So that's 427 times 5.88 trillion miles away from us right now. Draw it in a little closer with the Hubble Space Telescope and you can start to get a little bit of the feeling of its intensity, but this is the crazy thing about Betelgeuse. Are you ready for this? Betelgeuse is twice the size. Are you ready? You think I'm gonna say twice the size of the sun? Oh no, it's twice the size of the Earth's orbit around the sun, Betelgeuse is. It's crazy. If the Earth were a golf ball, <laughs> Beetlejuice would be the height of six Empire State Buildings on top of each other. Now, come on, have you seen the Empire State Building? <laughs> I mean, maybe what you're going to need to do is gather the family, get a golf ball, get some plane tickets, and fly up to New York. And you're going to go into Midtown, you're going to take your golf ball and put it on the sidewalk outside the Empire State Building. Don't worry about people thinking you're crazy. They're not even going to notice you in New York. You're going to go across the street. You're going to look up at the Empire State Building and imagine five more Empire State Buildings on top of the Empire State Building. That's Beetlejuice, and that's the Earth, and somewhere you're on it. 
You could fit 262 trillion Earths inside Beetlejuice. So if the Earth were a golf ball, that would be enough golf balls to fill up the Superdome with golf balls 3,000 times. When I heard that as a teenager, that stumped me right there. Because most of my praying had been advising God, correcting God, <laughs> suggesting things to God, drawing diagrams for God, <laughs> reviewing things with God, counseling God. The third star, let's just, can you go a little bit bigger with me? The third star is called Musifi. Here it is in the night sky. It's that gold star to the top left. We, we have the big image of it. It's 3,000 light years away, but I just want you to see it in the, in the span of all these little glittering stars so that you know that at times when you look up at night, it is not just twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. I'm telling you what you are. What you are is intense and huge and massive and ferocious is what you are. And, and this one used to be called Herschel's Garnet Star. Check it out. If the earth were a golf ball... Musifi would be the width of two Golden Gate bridges end to end. Apparently, you're going to need to go from New York to the West Coast. Go to San Francisco with your family and your golf ball. Place your golf ball at the beginning of the Golden Gate Bridge. Go across the bay into Oakland to a high place where you can see the entire Golden Gate Bridge. Another Second Golden, Break, Golden Gate Bridge will be in your imagination. Span all the way back the two Golden Gate Bridges to the very beginning and find your golf ball over there. That's the earth and somewhere you're on it. One of the stars in the Milky Way galaxy. It's so big you could fit 2.7 quadrillion earths inside this one star. And it goes on. Yeah. It goes on. It's big, isn't it? Wow. Wow. All right, so let's talk about those creator of heaven and earth. I just wanted to give you a bit of perspective there. I was just landing on that one. It was a museum. Okay, Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Nehemiah says, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. Amen. I think that's beautiful. That's wonderful. Who made heaven and earth? God Almighty. Remember how we related to you first and foremost, Father, your heavenly Father. Isn't that wonderful? Oh my goodness. Open your Bibles in Psalm 8. Psalm 8. This is David. And I can imagine David, you know, as he's, he spent many days and probably weeks out in the fields with the, the flock and uh, days and nights. And I imagine him looking up into the starry sky over, over the hills of Bethlehem and seeing the starry host and recalling this as he wrote this song. What did he say? Verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. 
who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Number three, then, verse three. Psalm 8, Psalm 8. Yeah? Verse 3, look at this. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you've made him a little lower than the angels, and you've crowned him with glory and honour. You've made him to have dominion over all the works of, over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, the pasture of the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. So, so just think about that for a moment. Think about the video that we've just watched. And there are so many other videos about that, that I recommend you to watch about the vastness, the immensity of creation. All right, and just think, you, you ask yourself the same question, that's what Luke was saying, Luis Gideon. What we're trying to get across to us, you know, is the same thing, the same question that David is asking in the psalm. Lord, when I consider your heavens, the work of your hands, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man? On that little gold that represents earth, what is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for? Because we just seem so small and insignificant. And yet, the God of heaven would, would lay aside his glory and all of his, his, his privileges of being God and, and, and restrict himself to human form and, and, to, and to come to reveal who God is to us and then subject himself to a cross. The one who spoke those things, those stars, that, that are like the, the two... Golden Gate Bridge is the one who spoke them into existence. I just want you to dwell on that a little bit, to think about it. You know, because it just it will help you as you relate to it. And it will just keep your heart humble, won't it? Just remember who we are before God. And yet you hear some people, and goodness me, it's unbelievable. So, God and God alone made all that exists, immaterial or material, matter or antimatter. Psalm 33, verse 6 and verse 9. Maybe you guys can look that from your own Psalm 33, verse 6 verse 9. Is that Psalm 33, 6 and 7? No. 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 No
versions into what you're saying. Uh, the Lord really spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. Wow. The Lord really spoke. Yeah. 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 Carry on, what was it? The Lord really spoke. The Lord really spoke. And the heavens were created. He breathed the word, and all the stars were born. My goodness. Wow. Nine? Have you got verse nine? Um, yeah. Um, for when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. Amen. Amen. Wow. Wow, we, everything you've just seen, when you cast your, your eyes up into the night sky, without any light pollution next time, and start to try and count the stars. You ever done that? Yeah. Have you stood there counting the stars? I think I told you this, when I climbed Mount Sinai some years ago, you know, there was no light pollution whatsoever, and the stars were unbelievable. You can imagine just the, the array of the, the host, you know, displayed before you. It was just, it was just awesome to behold, and to think, that all those things were spoken into existence by this God who is your heavenly Father. All these things spoken into existence. Everything owes its existence to God. John 1 verse 3, Mark, please. I see, I see you falling asleep there. John 1 verse 3. Come on, come on. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Yes? Oh, praise the Lord. Praise God. Therefore, we owe our existence to God. Therefore, the world that you live in, when you go out into, into the, the, the woods next time for your walk and you have a look around at all the beautiful nature and everything, remember that it's his. Yeah. Okay? And the world that we live in is not our world as such. Okay? Primarily it belongs to him. But we've been given dominion over it. Okay? And responsibility for it. Yeah. Praise God. But we are our existence to him. We are completely dependent upon him. God made all things ex nihilo, which means from nothing. It's a Latin word which means from nothing. <laughs> How does that work? God spoke and it was. God spoke and it was. Romans 4 verse 17. Julia, maybe? Yes, God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of, out of nothing. So it's not like there was some kind of, uh, um, is it primordial the word? Kind of soup. like soup that he kind of like just organised. In other words, the universe is not eternal. Do you understand that? Yeah. The universe had a beginning and I think that most, a lot of scientists would agree with that. They will disagree with you about the origin of it, 
but they would, dis they would agree with you that the universe had an origin, had a beginning. And I think the reason they believe that is because they accept that the universe is expanding. And so if the universe is expanding, it means if you trace it backwards instead of forwards, you come to a beginning point, yes? Yeah. And that beginning point, on the suggestion, is not a big bang. Yeah. Where, where, you know, there was this, this ball of cosmic gas that suddenly exploded, you know, and then, and then randomly ordered itself. Everything fell into order. I heard somebody many years ago, I think I've told you this one, but it's like getting uh, stripping down a motorbike into all of its component parts, all of it. Put it into a, um, a big cardboard box, okay? Messing, shaking it around it, then throwing it up in the air, and then it all falling back together as a perfectly working motorcycle. Do you understand? That's kind of like a big bang theory. And then you've got the question if it were a big bang, if it were a cosmic ball of gas that exploded, where did that come from? Because yeah. the, the first cause, isn't it? If exactly. that was the event, what's the first cause? What's what's the cause? There has to be a cause, an effect, it doesn't have a cause, effect, cause, effect. What's the first cause? God. The first cause is God. Yeah. God is eternal without beginning or end. Try and get your head around that. He just is. He just is. And if he wasn't, you wouldn't be either. That's right. Isn't that, isn't that true? Wow. It's awesome when you start to think about these things and understand the, the greatness of God, the majesty of God. Let me just upset the word of faith people again. <laughs> um, because again there's this idea that, you know, we also, we can confess things into being. We can activate the force of faith, the law of faith, and we can confess things into being. I know because I fell for it many years ago. I fell for this, this heresy many years ago. Alright, so I started to confess things and you, you know, you get a bit frustrated after a while, but you get being told, no, you, you can't this you can't not believe, because if you don't believe, then you won't see it and it's your fault anyway. So you've got to keep confessing and that you, like God, can confess things into being as if you were God. Really? Really? Don't get me wrong, I think that the words of our mouth are powerful. But not powerful to create something out of nothing. Not at all. That belongs to God and God alone. We're not gods. We're not little gods. Okay? I made that, that very clear for the video as well. We're not little gods. Amen? Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hebrews 11, verse 3. Hebrews 11, verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? That the universe was created by the word of God? Yeah. Yeah. Praise God, you believe it by faith. You weren't there, you didn't see it, you didn't hear it. You believe it by faith, that's what you're getting at. We understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Everything was spoken into existence. That's the law. So, when we confess that God is creator of heaven and earth, thinking about the Apostles' Creed now, going back to the Apostles' Creed, when we say things like creator of heaven and earth, what are we, what are we declaring? We declare number one, God is distinct from creation. God is not the creation, God is not created, God is distinct from it, He's different from it, yes? He's the origin of it. 
So, so it's not that, that everything else is God. No, God is distinct from it. However, God is sovereign over creation. God is sovereign over creation. He's the governor, if you like, of all of creation. God loves his creation. And very importantly, God remains active in creation. So when we think about God and the way he created the universe, we shouldn't think that he's like a watch that he just kind of like put it all together, set it off, and let it go. And just let it tick over itself. You know? That God is not involved in it. Because the Bible makes it clear, not only did he create all things, but he sustains all things. Is the, the atomic glue yeah. that keeps everything together. Okay? So he's very much involved in creation. He doesn't just set it off and establish some laws and everybody has to go by those laws. No, no. He, he actually is involved in creation. Interesting when we talk about triunity of God, trinity of God, we see that all three members of the triune Godhead were involved in some way in the creation. God the Father was the one through whom all things came. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. Jesus Christ is the one through whom all things came. And in him all things were created. Colossians 1. Let's read Colossians 1, verse 16. That's an important New Testament passage. Colossians 1, verse 16. Any, any volunteers? Yes. Right? It's quite interesting 
that if I were to open Freddle, okay, with a knife, I'm going to do that. If I was to open up, I'd find pretty much the same internal organs as I have if you were to open it. Yes? We're pretty much the same thing, aren't we? As, as, as men, as human beings. But it's so different in his personality, isn't it? Everything. Isn't that amazing? You know, physically, biologically, we're the same, aren't we? We need the same organs and everything else. We're identical, if you want, in terms of our makeup. And yet we're so unique and different, each one. Hallelujah. And, and you know, there's, there's, God is involved in that, friends. God is involved in that. You are unique and a person because God has breathed his life into you, if you want. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Uh, just a very quick, just because we're going to have a, a bit of a break in a minute. Just to mention, um, in Genesis chapter 1, one of the things that strikes you is that when God created everything, he created it, all things were good. Amen. We see that. All things were good. That's important to, to, to note. Obviously, it's A, B, C, isn't it? But uh, we see that in Genesis chapter 3, something goes terribly wrong. And we'll talk about that another time. Some people get upset about the... Are we talking about seven literal days? You know, in which the, the heavens and the earth were created and then God rested on the seventh day. Was it literally seven times? How many of you think that it was 24 hours? Literal 24 hours? I mean, God could do that, couldn't he? How many of you don't? I struggle with the first three. Okay. Because um, God created the sun on, on, the fall, on day four. But so light. But light was already created, which is the sun of God. <laughs> but he did say that then there was evening and then mm -hmm. there was morning. So it's a, it's a little bit ambiguous. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Some people get really upset about that. If you say that, really talk about this. Oh, no, you know. Just another point as well, that the Hebrew word for day, God, can mean literally a day of 24 hours, but it can also mean a period of time. Yeah. I'm not suggesting by that, but the, the evolution, yeah, right? At the end of the day, just to finish this, um, we've got to remember that when that was being written, they weren't asking the questions that we asked today. They're not trying to discover, you know, all the ins and outs of how things were made. I don't think that was the purpose of Genesis chapter 1. A, a scientific explanation of, of, of all the things that were made. Okay? The point is that it was made by this God, Elohim. Okay? The one that, that you remember the Bible was written to, wasn't written to, it was written for us. Okay? So the people who were reading this originally, they were coming from a culture where there was lots of um, idolatry and various gods and so on. The whole point of the message, the old people, Bible in Genesis chapter 1 is to show you that it's an Elohim. It's this God that is creating all these things. So the purpose is theological and not scientific. Yeah, that's right. Everybody get that? Yeah. Praise God. So don't get upset if you know if people want to argue with you about that. Amen. The Lord's quite capable of living seven days. Doesn't necessarily have to be so. It doesn't need to say that that was the purpose for which it was written. Okay? Amen. So let's have a break. Let's have some tea, coffee. Then we'll come back and just have a... Are your heads frozen? I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Right. <laughs> <laughs>